I'm going to tell you a story. And, uh, and if you're here today, I believe you're here by divine appointment, you're supposed to hear this story. And uh, let's see where it goes. And there's going to be an opportunity for prayer for healing at the close of the service for any of you that are afflicted. And we're going to, we're going to go after this. We're going to pray into this. And uh, I believe that, there's, that healing is not just a defensive move, but it's actually offensive warfare against the strongholds of darkness. I think we're, de- we're confronting demonic powers when we press into healing. We're taking turf back that the enemy thought he claimed from God's people and that he could possess. No way. Scripture says, if anyone defile the temple of God, God will destroy him. And some of our temples have been defiled by the enemy, an invasion of, 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 of darkness that we need to declare war on and take back. And we have God's permission to destroy the forces of darkness that have defiled the enemy of the, Lord, or the, uh, uh, the temple of the Lord. Amen? Are, are you in agreement with me? Amen. Okay. So in Acts chapter 26... Paul is sharing his testimony with King Agrippa and, uh, and how the Lord captured his life for the gospel. And you might think, well, you know, Paul, what is wrong with you? You were warned that if you continue down that path that you're going to end up in prison and it may cost you your life. And, the Lord, and Paul refused to be deterred, didn't he? He's like, I don't care what you tell me, I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem. I know, I know it's going to be me and me being captured, but I don't care. But remember what Paul's assignment was. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, the man who laid hands on Paul so that he would receive his sight and come into alignment with God's call in his life, he said, the Lord said, in Acts 9.15, the Lord said to him, Go, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Ministering to kings was part of the call and assignment on his life. And he refused to be deterred from it. It was going to cost him something to get access to the king. He... he his, I, I believe his heart was that he wanted to end up in front of Caesar and share the gospel with Caesar. And if he could win the heart of Caesar, he could win multitudes and multitudes for the kingdom through him. But he was not willing to compromise his assignment, even if it cost him persecution and death. And ultimately it did. In verse 26, in chapter 26, verse 19, he said, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. There was a vision that was given to him from the Lord. And it wasn't just the vision that knocked him off the horse the day that the Lord interrupted his life. But it was a vision that God birthed in his heart. And he knew it was a vision from heaven. Listen, for every one of you, there's a heavenly vision that the Lord wants you to engage in, to go after and to receive that will bring everything in you alive and to cause you to bring the maximum impact for the kingdom of heaven possible in your life. You can do a lot of good things without intercepting that. 
But that is what will make you the, absolutely the most powerful and productive your life can ever be, is intercepting and receiving the heavenly vision for your life. Amen? Today I'm going to talk to you about a heavenly vision. So at the end of October, I went to Cabayacocha, Peru to plan our involvement there uh, with Daniel and Carolyn. Do we have that uh, picture ready to go up? Uh, that's the Daniel and Carolyn, Carolina. Uh, she actually uh, is more of the pastoral role of the church, and he is more of an apostolic leader in the region. Um, he preaches a lot there, uh, but she's really uh, cares for the congregation pastorally and, and is really bringing it alive. And they're just a real blessed couple that we're called to work with. Uh, but anyway, we were there making plans on how we would partner with them over the next few years in church development and training of leaders in the three frontiers area of Peru and Brazil and Colombia. And the Cabayacocha church that they pastor will become the apostolic hub for the region initially. And that's our partnership. We were asked to if we would consider taking responsibility for this several years ago. And I wasn't convinced initially that it was the Lord, and, and the Lord convinced me that it was. And so um, that was the purpose of this trip, was to do some planning with them. Um, and then later, there may be a second uh, hub added right at the border in the, in the city of Tabatinga, Brazil. But from the time I arrived in Cabayacocha, uh, a strange thing began to happen. I, wasn't, I didn't know if initially if I was going to share it publicly, but I'm going to share it with you because I, I, I want our congregation to understand what's happening. In the spirit, I saw four men standing side by side watching me. And uh, I didn't just see them once. I saw them and they were always there. Uh, they, I, they were in, in the distance. They weren't close enough that I could see their facial features. But eyes open or closed for three or four days, I saw them continually. And so I'm praying, Lord, what's going on? What are you telling me? What do I need to understand here? <clears throat> what are these guys needing to communicate with me? And over the next three or four days, I came... Uh, to some conclusions as I processed it in prayer and just continually kept asking the Lord. And I, and I, uh, and I came to the understanding these men were four actual, uh, or they represented four actual fathers of the tribes that I was being called to, who had died and gone on to their reward. And that they're watching me in this in the spirit, in the vision that I saw. They're watching me because they're very interested and concerned with my assignment to their people. How I many of you know they're in the cloud of witnesses today? It means they're witnessing something. And so they're interested because it's a fulfillment of the prayers and much searching for truth among their people that I'm coming. And they're concerned because they don't want me to make them like us. Don't try to make them like American believers. 
or Freedom Fellowship or Bethel or anybody else. Don't try to do that. Honor their culture, their traditions, their language, and the history of their tribes. Let them be who God created them to be. Honor the fathers who have led them in the past. These were represented like forefathers that I was seeing. And the contributions that they have made. They laid foundations that I'm being called to build on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 became very real to me during those days. They planted, I'm coming to water, but God will give the increase. 1 Corinthians uh, 3.10 became very real to me too. Be careful how you build on those foundations. The foundations that they have laid are in preparation for the gospel that we're bringing. Help their people come out of any alliances that they have with dark powers. You know, in that culture, there's a lot of shamanism, uh, animism, different kinds of belief systems that, that where there's a lot of interaction with spiritual powers. Help them come out of agreement with those things. But otherwise, let the Lord show them who they are to be in the kingdom, who they are to become. Don't try to make them like us. Don't try to make them like what we think they should be. But allow uh, the Lord to do that in them and to them. Make sure that the teams that we bring understand those values. That we're not there to conform them to our image. You know, ever since man, uh, God created man in his image, we're trying to recreate man in our image. Right? That's not the way. It's, it's a little backwards. It's not supposed to work that way. The, the, the fingerprints of God and the footprints of God have already gone ahead of us into those tribes. That was, that's some real simple missions 101 truth that Hudson Taylor taught who went to, to, went to, uh, to China. Is the fingerprints of God are already in the culture. Show them where the fingerprints of God already are. It's, it's kind of like Paul when he went to Athens and, uh, and he went, before he preached at Mars Hill, he saw this altar and it said to the unknown God. And so when he got to preach to them, he said, on the way in here, I noticed an altar. And it said, to the unknown God. That's the one I've come to talk to you about. You find the fingerprints of God that are already there. And you point to that and you reveal that God's already been revealing himself to you. In your language, in your culture, in your traditions, God's already been there. And this is the one that we're going to tell you about. So I agreed to what I was being shown. I agreed to that. And then the men disappeared and I didn't see them again. And I knew that I'd got the message. And so I returned home and I was pondering these things in my heart. Meditating on them, praying over them. It's just, you know, when, when something like that, <coughs> a vision like that, shifts something inside of you that information can't do. It, it, it gets into 
it, it creates a new paradigm in how you think and how you process. I, I don't understand all of it, but I know that it happens because there's been a number of different areas and times where that's happened to me. And, and when God gives you a vision like that, it, 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 re, it adjusts your values, your perspective, your lens, how you see things. And uh, so I was coming home and pondering that, and I was getting more mileage on it, out of it as I went, and more understanding as time went on. And then I heard the Lord say, if you can accept these values in your ministry to the South American tribes, can you also agree to them for your own tribe? And that was a shock. I wasn't expecting that. But I knew I just heard what the Lord asked me that. Can you minister to the Amish people without trying to change them to make them like you? And I'm like, oh my goodness. It was so easy for me to see it for the South American tribes that we're called to, but it was harder to see it for our own people. I said, wow, you're right. Why wouldn't the same values apply here? They have their own culture. They have their own language. They have their own history. They have their own traditions. Why would we think that the values apply differently? Our assignment's the same. Help them come out of any alliances that they have with dark powers. But otherwise, let the Lord lead them into how the gospel is to transform their culture. You know, it's like that woman who hid, uh, who hid uh, yeast in three measures of meal. And, and without her understanding how it did it, it transformed all the, the whole thing. You know, it's kind of like putting yeast in bread, and it, it transforms it. And you, it's, it the process is not, uh, you, you can't really understand it, because, but it gets on the inside, and it begins to transform it from the inside out, and it looks completely, it's the same thing, but it looks completely different. And that's how the power of the gospel is to invade culture. That's the, the power of the Holy Spirit is well able to, and I think one reason why, uh, it's been so easy for us to think that we have to change them into what we think is because historically in our tribe, uh, we've, we've kind of had a fear of the Holy Spirit. In the Amish tribe, you know, there was some devastation that happened way back in the 1500s because some people were hearing some voices and seeing some visions that weren't of God. They ended up not being of God. And so a fear of deception came into our tribe. And there's been a fear of the Holy Spirit ever since. And that's one thing that we have to help them come out of agreement with and understand that we can trust the Holy Spirit. That if we give ourselves to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God will reveal to us when we get off track. The Word of God will develop a paradigm, a plumb line that things need to measure up to so that we don't have to go through life in fear of deception. In fact, if you go through life in a fear of deception, you're already deceived. Because fear opens the door to all kinds of deception. We're not called to live in fear, we're called to live in faith. And faith and confidence and boldness. 
And so, but when, when, and the reason why the deception happened to our people in the first place is because many of our people were illiterate at that time. They didn't, they couldn't read the word of God. The word of God was scarce and, and those, and many of the ones in our movement uh, couldn't read. And so they were seeing visions and hearing voices that weren't of God and it deceived them into doing some, some really devastating things. And so they embraced a fear. And part of our assignment is to help them come out of agreement with that historic fear and come back into a relationship with the Holy Spirit that they're hungry for. And otherwise, we're to allow the Lord to lead them into how the gospel transforms them. Don't try to make them like you. Teach them about salvation by faith. That's a huge thing. When that thing first gripped me as a young believer, uh, I understood what, what Martin Luther, how that thing gripped him and transformed his life because it transformed mine. When I understood that nothing that I can do can make me righteous. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was in a restaurant down in Amish country several years ago, you know, and I, and I watched all these different uh, groups come in wearing all different kinds of religious uniforms and and thinking, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking. Probably not the kindest thoughts, you know. And uh, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, they're looking for righteousness. And it, and it went to my heart and I said, oh my goodness. That's why they're doing all of that. They're looking for righteousness. That's the only way they know how to look for it. That's where we come in. Our job is to show them the one who is their righteousness. And when he's revealed to them, they'll realize they don't have to work so hard to try to be righteous. Because faith already makes them righteous when they put their faith in what Jesus did for them. It's not what they can do to be righteous. It's what Jesus did that makes them righteous. And we can't add to that. Teach them about salvation by faith, about what baptism really means. I forget who we were baptizing. Uh, some of Josie's relatives, I think. Remember that time, that Sunday we came here for baptism and the place was half full of Amish people? No, not that one. And I'm like, there was a time when that would have intimidated me, you know? But I got excited. I'm like, are you kidding me? I get to teach all these Amish people what baptism really means? This is so awesome. It was the most wonderful morning. Because in that culture, the, the, the act of faith that began the movement was water baptism. But today, it's lost its power. They lost the revelation that they had in the beginning. And water baptism to them today is how you join the church. It's lost its power. In the beginning, it was a radical transformation of life because water baptism symbolized to them uh, dying to who they were and being resurrected into a brand new life in Christ. And the revelation was so fresh and new and radical and powerful that it triggered a revival that swept across Europe. And today the 
descendants of those people say, well, it's just not we're sign of an inward change, and it's how you join the church. And so I got to minister those things. And so those are some of the things that we're called to bring and to help them understand because they forgot about the Holy Spirit and his power. Accept them as family. And don't tell them they need to change how they dress or live or get around in order to be a spirit-filled Christian. The Lord declared to us probably a decade ago, this is a safe place. And that's one of the things that I knew that he was referring to. This is a place where people can come and not have people tell them, oh, you need to dress differently, you need to do this differently, and put that pressure on them in order for them to encounter the Lord and what he has for them. Jesus is the head of the church, and he's well able to speak to them if they need to change anything in their life, right? By the way, now that I'm on that subject, let me add this. When I hear someone, and I don't hear it as often as I used to, when I hear someone say, hey, you should come to our church, when they're already a part of another church, something inside of me cringes. That's not our vision for, how, for church growth, is to get people to leave another church to come to this one. That's not how we do things. Jesus is the head of the church, and he is well able to let somebody know if they are to make a move, and until then, it's not our job to try to move them. And usually when we do it, it doesn't end well. Okay, they don't need to come because, hey, come hang out with your friends. That's not how it works. Jesus puts, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, God designed the body. God the Father is the grand architect that designed the body. And Jesus is well able to let people know when they, I, I tell people there's, there's, a, there's a homing device in every believer that lets you know when you're home. And that needs to be God showing you where you belong. Now, if we bring somebody and they get saved through our ministry and all that, then yes, bring them home. But if they're already connected to another church and, and they've already received life and, and all of that there, I, I never tell someone, you should leave your church and come to this one. I've heard people do that, and it usually doesn't end well. That's the Lord's job, not ours. Amen? So if we're going to help them get past their fear of the Holy Spirit, can we also trust the Holy Spirit to bring any changes that need to be brought? Or do we think we have to help the Holy Spirit in case he forgets to bring something up? I've I, I found out the Holy Spirit's really smart. He's actually smarter than I am, believe it or not. He's smarter than you are, too. So after, right after I agreed to all of that, Todd White contacts me about having an event in Amish country. And I'm like, okay, I think this is a setup job. <laughs> and then I remembered the message of Almalanga, Guatemala. Because that had been coming up also. And the Lord had been ministering to several of us over the last couple of years about Almalanga, Almalanga. And I'm thinking, what, what about Almalanga? You know, Becca talked about Almalanga when she was here and what God did down there. 
and how it transformed the farmland of the area. So they're growing crops that has the whole world's attention because nobody can grow, can grow vegetables that big, right? And that much of it, you know? Uh, and it's just the blessing of God on the land. So I thought that when God kept bringing up Al Malonga that we're going to see something similar here to that. And I realized that I got my focus on the wrong thing. It's not about the, what they're growing there. It's about the strategy that they employed to steward the visitation of God. And that's something the Lord's calling us to here. The pastors and the leaders all came together. They laid down their competition. And they linked arms to steward what the Holy Spirit brought to their community. And it's still ongoing because they came into agreement. Heaven came into agreement with that. There's something about the body of Christ coming into agreement that heaven loves and honors. And so all these different denominational churches agreed to lay down their competition and promote each other instead of themselves and link arms together for the sake of what God was bringing to their community. And that revival is still going on 40 years later. Wouldn't it be amazing if that could happen here? Let me rephrase that. Won't it be amazing when God does that here? Talk about a new wineskin. That will be one. You know, I, I told our leaders, you know, there's, there's something that happened, uh, and I, I need to study the history of it a little bit more, but it goes back to at least to the 50s. The shopping mall uh, movement in, in America and then across the world, uh, and why that was so successful. And it was because they, they um, adopted a, a, a philosophy that's actually a kingdom philosophy. Every store in the mall promotes every other store in the mall. There's no competition between the stores. That's, that's what the shopping malls were actually birthed out of, was that philosophy. If you want to be a part of the mall, you have to agree that you're going to promote all the other stores in the mall. You're not going to compete against them. That's a kingdom thing. And that's where we need to get. That's where we need to be. If we want to see God pour out his spirit, we have to stop trying to figure out which one's the most right and which one's wrong. When we're divided, we're all wrong. You know, it's, it's not our job to, to remove all the spots and wrinkles from the church. That's God's job. It's not our job to go accusing everybody who thinks a little differently from us of doing it the wrong way. You need to start doing things the way we do. That's not our job. Jesus will do that. I wonder if we can do the same. I'm committed to that. Amen? I'm committed to helping to create a culture that is united together of leaders. And, and I'm already beginning to meet with some of the key gatekeepers around the Holmes and Wayne County area, Tuscarawas County, 
uh, area and, and, and into Stark County, I'm already starting to meet with some of those leaders and say, are you willing to do this? And you know what? I'm discovering that um, 2020 and 2021 and some of the devastation that came has beaten people up enough that they're humble enough to be willing to agree to those things. Wouldn't it be something if God used that kind of catastrophe to bring us to a place of humility to where we're saying, yes, I'm willing to, yes, I'm all in, let's do this. Amen? I'm excited. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. So we have an assignment and an opportunity to impact a culture of people who are hungry for the gospel and especially the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, what God is opening up for us and inviting us into is a sacred trust. And I really mean that. And he doesn't pass these assignments out to those that he hasn't learned to trust. And uh, so, Father, I thank you for the giving hearts of your people. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing us our part. And so we bless every gift, those who give, and we ask that you would continue to raise us up as good stewards of all that you've entrusted us to. In Jesus' name, amen.